this on. What is it now? Thanks for the help, Keenan. Hey, everybody, how's it going? Hey, stop. <laughs> um, if you don't know me, my name's Dustin. Uh, welcome to Revolution. If this is your first time here, how's it going? Um, I miss you guys. I've been gone for like two weeks, and it, it kind of hit me this week. Like, I really miss you guys. I'm glad to see everybody. Um, Kelly, what'd you say? That hurts. That hurts, man. Kelly, stand up. Stand up. You might need to stand on the chair. Um, no. All right, everybody, Kelly, raise your hand. Seriously, though. All right, this is Kelly. Um, if you're a college student at Shawnee C. Kelly, um, you're in charge of the Shawnee Bible study, correct? Do you have a time for that yet? Do you have a time for that yet? Do you know when that's going to happen? Okay, so if you have any questions, see Kelly. Um, Chris Jones is the gentleman standing in the back. <laughs> um, Chris Jones is going to be starting a six-week Bible study here, probably around the beginning of the semester, uh, based on the Jesus is greater than religion uh, curriculum. So if you're interested in that, see him. Um, guys, if you're interested in a men's small group, see me. We don't have a, a solid time or day for that yet, so um, I'm open to suggestions if anybody has any ideas. Um, Ryan Rolf's small group is back on. That is Wednesday nights at 6.30, I believe. Uh, David Dowdy, standing in the very back. Uh, his small group is Wednesday nights at 6. Um, Stephen has a small group directly after church this evening. We really need a slide with these small groups on it so I can just point to it. That would be so much easier. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'll go ahead and pray. Chris is going to throw on some music, or Jim, somebody, I don't know. He's going to put on some music, stand up, find somebody you don't know, say hey, and we'll get started, okay? Um, Jim? Corey? Who's back there? Shh, not yet. I'll tell you when. God, I thank you for bringing us all together tonight. Um, I ask you to be with us all tonight as we come together to learn uh, what you want to teach us. Um, as we come together to worship God, I ask you to, to open our hearts um, for what you want us to know, for what you want us to, um, to learn this evening. I ask you to be with this church, to be with everyone here. Uh, in Christ's name, amen. What's up, Revolution? Yeah. Do it one more time. There's too many of you here for it to be that week. What's up, Revolution? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. How many, how many college students do we have here right now? The entire middle section scattered everywhere else. This is beautiful. I, 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 like just just like, uh, like Dustin said, I missed you guys. I did. I see people that I haven't seen in like three months. I'm so excited. Sienna, I see you. How you guys doing? <laughs> I was being weird. Um, surprise, surprise. Uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm so stoked that you guys are here. The college season is upon us, and I'm excited. Um, anyway, enough of that. Now for the awkward part to start the sermon from absolutely nowhere because I don't know how to start these things. Um, I'm a daydreamer. Anyone else? Anyone else just find yourself like your thoughts just floating? I know Wallachek does it all the time because he can't string a coherent thought out of his mouth most of the time. Uh, right, I'm a daydreamer really bad, um, but it really never like keeps me from doing my work too much. Um, like I do it at work a lot, but like I usually find myself like fairly deep in thought. And I'm not saying that to sound like super spiritual or anything, because like what I'm thinking about is not always deep things. Uh, like I'll sit and I'll, I'll wonder, what is it like to be a baby? Um, I'm serious. I, I did this at the store. Uh, There's a little baby girl came through the store and I thought, 
what is it like to be a baby? And, and I tell some people that I was thinking about that, and they're like, oh, man, that is kind of deep. Like, how does a child view life? Like, what's like they're seeing their mother through the, for the first time through their eyes? And I'm like, no, that's not what I'm talking about at all. Like, I'm thinking, like, what is it like to know that if I use the bathroom on myself, I don't have to do anything but yell, and someone's going to fix it? Like, because I tried doing that about a week ago. Autumn just stared at me. It was really weird. Um, yeah, it wasn't cool. Uh, I'm, I'm an idiot. Uh, or, or sometimes... Sometimes I'll daydream at work um, that, like, I'm at this, like, awful hell of a job, and I'm selling tobacco to rednecks all day. And then I wake up from my daydream, and there's a man with two teeth standing in front of me asking me for a can of Copenhagen. And I realize the nightmare has come true because um, I work in Minford. You guys, college students, if you've never been to Minford, don't. Uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> but we all daydream. Right? We all daydream, right? Like the age-old what would you do with a million dollars thing, right? Christians always, I would tie the 100,000 of it first off because if you don't say that, you're a sinner because Christians don't gamble. Um, I'm not actually putting that legalism on you guys. I don't really think that. Like, pay your bills and do whatever you want. Um, <laughs> tie it to your church and then whatever. Um, like, we always think, like, what would I do with a million dollars or what would life be like if I was famous? Like, I always think about what it'd be like to be a rock star and this is as close as God is gonna allow me to get to talking to you guys who don't really wanna listen to me. Um, too dark? No? Too dark? Whatever. Um, or, or something else that really doesn't matter, right? We, we tend to daydream. But what, what I'm getting at whenever I say daydream is, is we think, right? We're always thinking about something, sometimes good things, sometimes sinful things, right? Sometimes we're thinking, you know, what would be the, what would be the thing that would be God-honoring to do in, in a given situation? Or what is God requiring of me? And then other times we're, we're dwelling on sinful things like, um, like pornography or, or whatever crosses your mind that doesn't please God. Or how I can get back at somebody or sinfully worrying about your future, um, or things like that. So sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not God-honoring. Um, but nonetheless, what I'm getting at is our thought life is always on. Um, very few of us can turn it off. Um, and knowing that, right, knowing that our thought life is always on, that thought brings us to our passage that we're going to be in this evening. Tonight we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Um, and we're going to be talking about, um, well, posing the question, really, what, what do you think about um, and furthermore, how or what should Christians spend our time reflecting on? That's what we're going to be getting into. So just so you guys know, if you're new here, those blue Bibles out there, those are free. Um, those are free to take home. I know unless you have night vision goggles, you can't read them right now, but it's going to be on the projector behind me. Um, but again, what should a Christian be thinking about? How should, what should we spend our time reflecting on? Um, and I pose that question because some of us, um, chief among sinners right here, we have a tendency to worry and constantly think about the future and what, what we're going to do. How do I respond in this situation? What about me? What's going to go down? Um, other people are, are focused on achieving status and money and just getting stuff. And that's what their primary thought life consists of in the here and now. Um, you know, we concern ourselves with family and school and, and just tons of stuff constantly. Um, but what I'd like us to do this evening is to look into ourselves and find out where our minds float to naturally. All right? Whenever you're by yourself, whenever you're driving down the road, where does your mind go? What does it float to? Um, because I think that we're going to see this evening that our thought life reflects our perception of God. Uh, and more pointedly, who are God, capital G, or lowercase g, gods are. I think our thought life reveals that to us. And then we're going to see how our thoughts have a, a profound direct effect on what we actually do and how we live. All right, so I hope that this message causes us to do some self-evaluation 
and ultimately puts our eyes on the only thing that really matters, and that's Jesus and, and obeying him because we love him and have gratitude for how much he has loved us first. Um, and in doing so, that we would focus on him and then, cha- and then let that change our lives uh, to make us a people who point the unbelieving world to salvation and true life through Jesus Christ. All right, so now that we know where we're going, let's go ahead and hit the text. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Paul writes this. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the peace of God will be with you. Or the God of peace, rather, will be with you. Peace of God, he said earlier in the chapter. You didn't need to know that, I guess, this evening. I just messed up. Um, but, yeah, that's... I do that a lot. Uh, but, but first, the first thing we got to know, um, we need to remember is, for those of you who weren't here last week, I know that's a fair bit. Um, last week, um, Paul just finished talking about the peace of God that is going to guard our minds and guard our hearts, which is just uh, a couple words that mean like the inner person, um, that we shouldn't be anxious and we shouldn't worry um, about our current problems or what's going on in our life. We shouldn't be anxious and fret and despair over those things, but rather we should think about who our God is. Right? And, and just to recap, our God is sovereign. That means he is in control, that there is not one speck of dust floating in the air that he does not have complete control over, and that he loves us, that he's near to us right now if we're in Christ. If we have faith in Jesus, if we are followers of Jesus, he is near to us right now, and that he is a good father, and that he has been faithful to us in the past. He has given us Christ, and we can trust him. Right? He is good to us. Right? Paul told us, don't worry, but think about those things. And then as you remember these things about God, um, submit everything that you have, all of your worries, everything to God in prayer. And that whenever we do that, God's going to give us peace that guards our hearts and guards our minds from idolatry. Rather than thinking that we're going to fix our own problems ourselves, that we just give them to the God who actually has control over them. Protects us from this self-idolatry where we want to do what God says he'll do. Um, So now, if Paul's been talking about the peace that's going to guard our minds and hearts um, from despair, this peace that's going to guard our minds and hearts from idolatry, it's natural that Paul continues to talk about our minds and our hearts and our thoughts. Um, It's pretty much all the same concept for Paul. Again, this inner person. Um, So what Paul's kind of been kind of saying to us, I think, um, is I've been theological with you on prayer and God's peace through knowing who he is, but now we're going to get practical, right? I've got some things that you can do now. Um, Okay, so anytime that we, and I, I want to I stress this, anytime we ever talk about, like, the Bible's going to tell us to do something now, I, I, I always got to reiterate this. Your salvation, right, escaping the wrath of God, not going to hell, being reconciled to God, is always described in the Bible as a free gift, right? It's always grace, and it's only through faith. It's not works. It's not that you do enough good things to make yourself presentable to God, but it's I believe that Jesus Christ died in my place, suffered the penalties that I deserve from my sin, and came back from the dead, and I trust that that's going to reconcile me to God. It's always free grace, always. That's how our salvation is described, but growing to be more like Jesus, like the church word is sanctification, if you want to get like $5 word nerd. Um, That rhymed. That was cool. Um, (laughs) But if you, if you want to grow to be more like Jesus, it's still a gift from God. It's still Holy Spirit-induced growth, but it's always characterized as a fight. It's always characterized as a struggle. It's something that we push ourselves to do. 
right? So Paul is telling us some things to do that's going to make our goal of being like Christ a reality. All right, so again, just to recap again, we saw last week that God's going to guard our minds and our hearts from idolatry of self, that we can fix our problems, that we can do what God says that he will do. He's going to guard us from idolatry as we pray and remember his power and his faithfulness. But now, Paul is telling us to do something that's going to allow us to walk in greater peace and greater holiness to God, to please him more. So I just wanted to recap all that real quick so we can hop in. All right, so, so verse 8, um, we just read... Paul tells us to fix our thoughts on a lot of things, right? He says pure, like things that are pure, things that are honorable, all that stuff. Um, but I think that what we can do is we can boil them down into a few statements instead of doing like an eight-word like study on all that, and I could put you guys to sleep. I'd rather not do that. Um, so we're just going to do this real quick. Paul says to fix your minds on what is true and what is right. All right, now what we know is true and what is right is Scripture, Right? We know that God is truth. Jesus describes God word, God's word as truth. This is the one standard that we have. All right? And if God himself is truth, if God himself is right, then whatever he has spoken is always true and always right. So Paul, I think he's talking about scripture. Right? Focus on what is true and right. Whatever fits in line with scripture. So that's what we need to be focusing on, one. Two, he says whatever is honorable, whatever is pure. Right? The, the, the Greek word for pure means like, it's this word that... that gives you this connotation of fit for temple use, right? That kind of holy, sinless. It's what honors God. So again, in line with scripture, one, two, honors God, doesn't dishonor God, has nothing to do with sin, right? So honorable and pure. And the third things he says is whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent, and whatever is worthy of praise, right? And that's kind of talking about how the people around us would view um, these thoughts or these actions, Right? To think about whatever would cause the world around us to take notice of what we're doing and say, these Christians might be insane, but that's really admirable that they would feed someone that they don't know. These people, I might disagree with them and think that they're dumb, but it's, it's, it's uh, excellent right? that they're willing to forgive people that have hurt them, even if that person's not like, willing to, to do anything um, to make it right with them. Right? So those are, I think, the three things. True and right is in line with Scripture. Honorable and pure is what honors God. And excellent and praiseworthy and all that causes the world to take notice, right? So Paul is calling us to think on the things that are in line with what God desires from his people, right? And what is going to make men desire to live like us, even if they don't know our God yet, right? Which will in turn give us a great opportunity to tell them about Christ. And just a little sidebar, this means that we got to know the Bible. Like, like you got to know scripture. Um, I'm going to be weird for a minute. Who in here reads their Bible like four times a week? Right on. Yeah, I wasn't going to do every day because, like, I'm not going to, like, shame the entire audience here. I'm just going to shame three quarters of you. Um, all right, but no, seriously, like, we, we got to know. If we're going to know who God is and what pleases him and what's in line with scripture and what's pure and what's holy and what's excellent and praiseworthy, things that, that honor him, we got to know the Bible. So just sidebar, read your Bible. <laughs> Who'd have thought the pastor would say, read your Bible, right? Even if it's just a chapter a day, half chapter a day, something, get in there. If we don't know the Bible, then we really don't know anything about God or what he expects from us, right? Just... Sidebar over, soapbox done. Um, but here's the thing. We don't, we don't tend very often, at least, to be sold out to dwelling on these kinds of things, the things that honor God or make people take notice of us and that are in line with Scripture. We, we don't, at least n- not most of us all the time, right? We tend to fix our minds on worrisome um, or sinful or worthless temporary junk, 
right? And Paul knows that, and we know that too if we're going to be honest with ourselves, right? We, we spend a lot of time thinking, you know, what's going to happen in the future? That's big for me. What's going to happen a week from now? What am I going to do? And I worry, and I think that I'm going to be in control of my future. What's going to happen in my future? Or how can I get more, right? Just more. It doesn't matter what it is. Just more, right? Usually money. Um, how can I attain higher status? How can I get more respect in my community? How can I get a better uh, position at my job? Um, another thing, and this is another big one, chief among sinners, um, the past offenses of others. We dwell on things like that, how someone has wronged us and what I should have said to that jerk or what I could do to get back at them or how I could get revenge. We tend to dwell on that kinds of stuff. Um, or further, what I would like to do. Just in general, like me, 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 all about me. What do I want to do? What are my goals? Those kinds of things without a thought about God or anything that would please him at all. That's, that's where our minds tend to go, I think. Um, or I'm the worst sinner in the room, one of the two. Um, but Paul, like he often does, is calling us to do something higher. Something that's not natural to us. Because we're all born sinners, so naturally we don't want to think about things that honor God. right? Just because it's natural doesn't mean that it's okay. Um, but Paul's calling us to a higher thinking. He's calling us to reflect on what we should do, right? What we should do. Not necessarily what our knee-jerk wants are, our knee-jerk reaction to a given situation is, but what we should do, right? To think on what pleases the Lord Jesus, right? What would Jesus do? You guys did that. Yeah. You ashamed of me? Yeah, those stupid bracelets, if you hung enough together, maybe you could choke yourself with them. I don't know if that's possible. That Was that too dark? I hate those. I hate little slogan things that Christians buy at stores that sell bad books and bad CDs. Um, I'm sorry. Too dark. Um, But Paul is always calling us to this cruciform lifestyle, right? Like legitimately, like what would Jesus do? Like this is, that's corny, but like that actually fits this. This cruciform lifestyle, a, a life where we're constantly counting ourselves as nothing, Right? And constantly asking, what would my God have me to do? My will doesn't matter. What would he want? This is a life where we ask, what is the gracious thing to do here? What reflects the love of God? What's for the best of another person right now? What is morally upright? What brings God praise and honor, right? Just like Jesus always did. To think like him, always submitting to what pleases God, right? But then I always ask this, so if that's what Paul's saying here, that that's what we should be thinking on, why does this matter? Why do our thoughts matter at all? What's the impact or connection, right? Um, I think that there's two reasons. I think the first one um, is because our thoughts or our minds or our hearts, whatever you want to say, whatever that they're focused on reflects who or what we actually worship. I think whatever our minds are on is what we worship. You know, um, again, remember that Paul just talked about us praying with thanksgiving and remembering who God is, right? So if we're doing that, if we're listening to Paul, then naturally our minds should be focused on who God is, what's in accordance with his plan, what's going to draw people to him. But if our thought life is habitually anchored in worry or anger or getting more or whatever it might be, then we are betraying that in reality we are our own God. Or at least we're trying to be in that moment. And again, I say wherever your mind goes, habitually. Because we're all going to stray. There's always a measure of grace there. But habitually, where do you go? Right? And I can give you some examples of how this, whatever we think on, betrays what we're worshiping in that moment. Um, One, if you're you're always thinking um, 
about vengeance, right? You're always mad. You're thinking about how that person wronged you or how that jerk said something or, or did something or hurt someone that you love. And you're constantly thinking about what I can do to get them back, how cold I can be towards them the next time anyone do that. I'm just not going to talk to them next time I see them. That'll show them, right? Like, I don't know why we think that's like a punishment for someone that doesn't like us. I won't talk to you. <laughs> good. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, right? But we think like what we're going to do to get back at somebody, when in reality, what that betrays for us is God himself says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And what we're saying in those moments whenever we're always dwelling on our anger and hostility towards someone is we're saying, no, 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 God, vengeance is mine, I want to repay them. We're trying to take God's seat in that, in that he is the one who puts out vengeance, either on Christ, if someone comes to faith in Christ, or they have to suffer God's wrath themselves. Right? Or we worry about our future, right? where we say, well, I have to be in control of my future. But God says, no, I'm the sovereign one. I'm the one who's already in your future. I'm the one who's planned your life according to my will. And, and why are you trying to take over my, my position in your life and worry about your own stuff? Right? We, we think about money all the time, um, you know, how I can get more, how I can save more so that I can spend it on what I want to. Right? Like, I, like life is about making myself comfortable instead of understanding that God says, no, I've given you everything that you have um, so that you can turn around and do my will with it. So you're trying to do your will with what I've given you. So you're trying to be God over your own money. Um, if you're constantly thinking about just anything, I mean, there's a host of, of other things um, and, and that, that we could do that show that we aren't, in, in a sense, we're not allowing God to be God and we're trying to run our own lives and our thought life really betrays that, that we're trying to replace him with something else instead of trusting in him and being content in him, right? And again, please don't think that I'm throwing hammers at you guys here because like I do the same stuff and I got beat up before I, I got here thinking about all this, right? So Paul says to fix our minds on the things that honor God because he doesn't want us to become idolaters, essentially. He doesn't want us to become idolaters. He wants us to rely and reflect and focus on fulfilling the agenda of our true God. He wants us to be centered on him in our thought life. And I think that Paul confronts our thoughts and confronts our potential idolatry because he knows the Old Testament really well. Right? Paul was a Jew before he converted to Christianity. Like, surprise, surprise. Um, and Paul knows the Old Testament really well, and he knows the Psalms. He knows Psalm 115 says this. Right? It's talking about idols and idolaters. It says this. They're idols are merely things of silver and gold shaped by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak and eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear and noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel and feet but cannot walk and throats but cannot make a sound. And those who make idols are just like them as are all who trust in them. Paul wants us to confront our thought life because he wants us to confront our idols because he knows that we become like whatever it is that we worship. And he knows that we will become like our idols, dead, worthless, and condemned before God, if that's what our God is. Anything but God, that's what's going to happen. All right? and, and we know, like just personally, like you can just think about your own life or just watch people around. People watch. I've been doing that at the fair a lot. Like we know that if you, like just by watching people around us, that we become like whatever we worship. Right, whatever we put as the ultimate thing in our life. Like there's this dude that comes into the store that I work at, um, dude named Frank. I love that name. I think that's awesome. I want to name my son a really strong name. Um, anyway, why did I do that? Why did I tell you that? Um, but anyway, Frank comes in the store, and Frank is a hateful old man. Um, there's no other way um, to describe him. Actually, whenever he was coming through the door, I looked at my dad on Friday and said, uh, I was like, who does he hate today? And we, and we laugh, but it's really not funny. Um, 
because you can tell that this guy's mind is always on that someone's done him wrong. His mind's always on vengeance. He worships vengeance. Um, and what it's done over time is because that's what his life is centered on, is, is focusing on how he's been wronged and he wants to be his own God of vengeance and his own God of wrath. He's become hateful. That's where his mind's always at, and it's changed him into becoming like that idol of vengeance, right? Or to lighten things up, I used to want to be a thug. Straight out of Compton. <laughs> I'm excited for that film anyway. Uh, right? I worshipped Eminem. I did. He was the only white guy we had at the time. Um, right? I worshipped Eminem. I wanted to be just like him. All I would think about is his lyrics and how cool he was. And over time, like, I became an idiot. Um, I became, like, I started wearing, like, baggier clothes, and I started cussing more than any adult you've ever met in your life. I was nine years old. Um, I wanted to be a rapper. I wrote terrible raps and tried to make beats and stuff. Like, I don't know what my problem was, right? But he was my idol. I was always concerned with him. What's he doing? Reading the stupid tabloid things about him. I'm nine. What's my problem? Um, And I became, I wanted to be just like him, and I started to act like his persona that he gives off, um, which got me grounded a lot, because you're not allowed to say the F word in mom's house, um, Rightfully so, um, right? But, but whatever we dwell on, again, is the center of our life, right? We're worshiping that thing even if we don't admit it. Whatever we dwell on, whatever's at the center of our life, wherever your mind floats to, that's what you worship. Even if you don't want to admit it, that's your God. And here's the thing. If it's not God, like the God, Jesus, it's not going to end well for us, right? If it's sex or money, Um, If your mind goes to your job or your family constantly, um, school, your looks, yourself in general, and what you're going to do in your own will and your own plans, you will be left in pain. Ultimately, you'll be left in pain because those things will let you down. They will fail you. If the thing that you're always thinking about is sex, and then finally you start to get a lot of sex, you're going to find out, Man, there has to be more to life than this because, like, this is cool. Um, this, is, this feels good for a while, but, like, this, is, this can't be it. Right? If, if, it's, if, it's, if it's money, you know, your money can fail you because you can see with rich people, they always say it's never enough. I always want more. I never have enough. And furthermore, what if your money goes out the window? What if, what if you get robbed? What if you have no cash, your bank goes under, whatever it is? Then where are you going to be at if money's been the primary thing in your life? If it's your job and you get canned or you can't move up anymore in your status, what are you going to do then? That, that God just let you down. If it's your family and God forbid something happens like you get divorced or one of your children end up doing something awful, or your whole family dies around you, what are you going to do then? That was your ultimate thing. That was the thing you dwelled on. That was your God. If it's school and you graduate from school and can't get a job because the economy sucks, what are you going to do then? If it's your looks, you're going to get old. Gravity's going to take effect. Bad stuff's going to happen to you. Um, look at Ryan Rolfe. Um, oh, is that? Yeah, yeah that's what you... <laughs> right? Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to maybe be lied about that because I love Ryan. But honestly though, any God but God is going to let you down because everything is worthless and everything is temporary and everything's going to burn someday. Right? We, We live our lives to get things that are the stuff of future yard sales. Right? Anything but God is an awful God and it's going to leave us in despair. And Paul doesn't want that for us. 
That's why he's saying this, right? He just told us in verse 7, uh, we talked about last week, not to worry or despair. He wants us to know fully what it means to have peace in Jesus. That's why he tells us to rejoice in the Lord. So in telling us to dwell on good, godly things, right, things that will honor God, things that are in line with God's word, that will draw people towards Jesus, Paul wants us to confront our idolatry. And he wants us to confront our idolatry so that we can recognize that it's worthless and that it ends in death so that then we can toss it away and cling to Christ and rejoice in the Lord. I think that's Paul's thought process on this verse. He wants us to do that so we can find true peace and so that we can find true joy and true life and true contentment, and that's only found through faith in Jesus. True peace, true life is only found in knowing that the penalty for all of my wrongs has been paid because Jesus suffered God's wrath on the cross for me, and I've been made right with God because I believe that he did that. And furthermore, peace comes because I've committed myself to a loving God who would do that when I didn't deserve it, when I deserved hell, that he would die for me. And furthermore, he promises to never abandon me. He promises to always be the true source of life and joy because he is not temporary. He will not burn someday. He is eternal. He will always be. That's why Paul wants us to think on these godly things because they don't go away. God doesn't go away. Before we go on, though, uh, I always, again, always want to temper these kinds of things where we're calling people to do something. Um, I always want to temper it with some grace. Um, I want you to know that Paul is not saying, try harder, like, think about God more and do better, right? That's not what Paul's doing. Paul's not just standing there, like, beating on your will with a hammer of get it together, right? So that's not what I'm trying to do here. Paul's wanting us to, to reflect and think about the goodness and the grace and the faithfulness of God toward us, right? We live, we have family, we had transportation to get here tonight. None of us are starving to death. You have clothes, right? You're in your right mind. All these things are grace. And furthermore, if you're a Christian, you have Christ, who's your mediator to God, right? He wants us to think of these things that prove that God is good and his faithfulness towards us and then ask ourselves this question, I think. Why would I want to make anything else the center of my life? Why would I want to dwell on anything else? Why would I want something else to control my life? Paul's going after our hearts in gratitude to God. Everything's always about gratitude. But I think that the other thing that Paul knows is this. Wherever our thoughts are, our actions follow. I think Paul knows that, right? And that's just common sense, right? Like, and what I mean by it's common sense, let's, let's think about this for a second. Rarely does a man cheat on his wife that he has not daydreamed about it. Your actions control what you do. He's thought about how much he would want to be with this girl, about how, how, how much superior this girl is to his wife, what she offers him, how, how detestable his wife is to him in that moment. He's daydreamed about these things. Right? Rarely does a man just wake up one day and you go, no, I want to ruin my family and cheat on my wife. Like That doesn't happen. They dwell on those things. Right? We can look at, again, to lighten it up maybe, um, rock stars, right? Uh, I like to read interviews with people that have made it in the music business. And what do they talk about? I, I, I ate, slept, and breathed music in this band. And I pushed, and I pushed, and I had this obsession. It was all I could think about. And it pushed them on towards their goal. And what happened? They were willing to work hard enough and had this huge drive because it was what they were obsessed with. It's what they were thinking about all the time, right? So we can just look at just a couple examples and a host of other ones if we wanted to. And I think it would stand to reason that Paul is wanting us to meditate on God-honoring things in order to motivate our actions, right? So that our thoughts would naturally bleed from our hearts to our hands, right? So I think the question is, 
Where, you know, where do your thoughts go? Like, like self-reflection time, where do your thoughts go? You know, what do you meditate on? Where does your mind wander to whenever no one's around, you're driving down the highway? Right, are they negative? Are they about things that are temporary? Or, or are they, on the positive, eternal and godly things? Are you reflecting about the character and nature and goodness of God, what he would have you do? You know, do you consider and reflect on who God is and how he responds to us in love and grace? Right, where is your heart? Again, habitually, where is your heart? Where is it on a regular basis? All right, so again, don't get me confused. This is not like a Joel Osteen call to like change your thinking and change your life. That if you think positively enough, good things will happen. I wish that were the case. It's not how it works, um, right? We don't, we don't do that here. Uh, but rather, this is a call to ask yourself, what are my concerns? What's the driving force behind my entire life? Because honestly, a thousand years from now, 2,000 years, a million years from now, most of the things that cloud up our heads on a daily basis will not matter anymore. And all that's going to matter is what did we do in the name of Jesus to bring him glory and show people his love and grace? All right, but here's the thing, though. We've talked a lot about thoughts, right? We've gotten theoretical and how we should think, and thoughts are just up here, right? Paul doesn't just, like, stop with telling us, get your minds right, right? It's not, it's not where he stops with. Philippians 4.9 says this. We're going to read it again. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you, right? Paul tells us to always Right? He says, keep putting, like the tense of the word he uses in Greek means to always be putting the things that we know into practice, right? Everything that he's told us to do and everything that he's told us to think on, right? These good godly things, uh, again, reflecting the grace and nature of God, right? We're always to be loving people. We're always to be helping people, working together with other believers towards a common goal of sharing the gospel. In our individual lives, we're always to be attempting to tell, uh, to tell the gospel to the people that we're around, whether it be at work or in our family or anyone that we encounter, right? We're, we're to do anything and everything that honors God. We're to never stop putting these things into practice, Right, so since our minds are fixed on good, godly things, right, we don't just, once our minds are focused on that, we don't just sit back in our armchairs and in our small groups and say, that was really good to consider. I feel good about that now, right? Like, I don't know if you guys ever heard of Louis C.K. He talks about, this comedian talks about, like, his believies. Like, they just make him feel good. Like, he, he talks about being on a plane, first class, and seeing, like, this soldier coming through, like, coming home from the war. And he's like, I should give that guy my seat. I'm not gonna. But, like, that would be a really good thing for me to do, and it made me feel good, right? That's what he says. He talks about his believies, right? That, that's not what we're to do with these God-honoring things at all, right? These things that we're fixing our minds on are meant to inspire us to action, right? Because we want to emulate our God. And here's the thing. Our God is a God of action. He's a God of love. He's a God that shows grace to people. He's a God who bestows mercy, who shows compassion, who gives blessing, right? Verbs. Love is a verb, Right? If we're going to do these things, it's always going to require action on our behalf, right? And, and, and furthermore, thinking without doing is absolutely an exercise in futility. What good does that do? James talks about that in, in his letter to the dispersed Christians. You should read it, James. He says, what good is it to think well and do nothing? Right? Christians always act on what we know is true. We always act on what we know is excellent and admirable and right and that brings God praise. It's what we see in Peter and Paul and John. It's what we see Jesus himself doing, right? Being theoretic and only philosophical is not for us. 
Christianity is a religion of action, and it always has been. It always starts with God acting first so that we would then be inspired to act. Whenever you think about it, it's actually like morally repugnant to know what you should do and to not do anything. James, in James chapter 4, verse 17, actually calls it sin. He says to know what you ought to do and not do it is sin. It actually offends God. God actually finds it detestable. All right, so here's a kind of a profound thought to me. Um, so every time that you read scripture or you read a book about theology or you hear teaching or think about what the Bible says, you talk about what the Bible says or whatever, anytime you do anything like that, that has, to, that has to do with thinking on who God is or something that he said, you're even more accountable in that moment to put it into practice. Um, you know, we have the truth in our minds and now we have to practice what we preach. Right, the age old saying, practice what we preach, right? And here's the thing. We, we talk a, a pretty good game at Rev um, about the things that we do uh, both individually and as a church body for our community and stuff. And, you're, and, and, and some of it might be true, right? We might do more than many people both individually and as a body. That might be true on some level. But here's the thing. We must never become complacent in our obedience ever. We must never have our standard in comparison to another person. Our standard is always Christ, so we can always do more. We can always strive to live more selflessly like he did. Right? Never become complacent. Here's the thing, too. I know some of you might out there might be like, well, you know, I don't know much about the Bible. I don't really know how to study. I read things that I don't understand. Here's the thing. You can do something, even if it seems small. Right? Take what you do know. Right? Being kind towards people, being gracious towards people, not responding in anger. Take what you do know and put it into practice daily. It delights God. This is the coolest thing. Even when we fail, we don't really know what to do. It delights God whenever we're just trying. Right? Christ has been perfect for us, so even if we don't know exactly what to do, it delights God that we try. Um, right, but but I, I want to be clear again. Um, we don't put these things into practice, right? We don't meditate on what pleases God in order to make ourselves presentable to God. That's not what I'm saying, right? That's not the case at all. Everything that we do, we do from gratitude, always, because we have been made presentable by Jesus, like to God. You don't ever make yourself presentable by obeying. You don't ever make yourself presentable by having a good thought life. Christ has made you presentable to God because he has given you his perfect life to be judged on. You're his bride. He loves you. He's the one that's made you presentable. You don't do that for yourself. We do these things because we have love for the one who loved us first and has made us presentable to God. Right? That's because, he, he's, again, he's done for us what we could not do for ourselves. We suck, we're sinners. We couldn't even approach God until we came to faith in Christ. Because if we approach God and we're sinners, he's going to damn us, right? But through Christ's sacrifice, God has rescued us from from the despair, from the death, from the hell that comes from idolatry, that comes from self-worship, that comes from doing what we want to do day in and day out. And we do these things because God has done that for us and he's revealed to us what true life is. And we want to walk more fully in that life. And that life is pleasing God and knowing him more fully daily. Right, so this, this passage is calling us to change the way that we think, right, because of who God is and what pleases him. And then it's calling us to change the way that we live. Right, and, we're, and we're to live our viewable lives and our thought lives in this way because it makes the world take notice. Right, the world would look at us 
and inherently know, like, this is right that they're doing this. This is good. I don't know how I know it, but I just know it. And it's because God's put his law on everyone's heart to some degree. They just know, and they'll be drawn to us if God wills it. It shows people around us whenever we live this way because our thoughts have changed. It it, it makes them ask themselves and and maybe ask us, you know, what has changed? And we can always say, it's Christ. That's always our answer, right? Christ has changed my heart, so now my actions have changed. You know, in in Romans, uh, Paul tells us to be transformed by changing the way that you think. And I think that in these two verses, I think that Paul is reiterating that thought here on some level. So I'm imploring us to leave here and truly begin to meditate on God. Truly begin to meditate what you do know about God. Dig into the scriptures. See who God is and how he wants us to live. See what he's done and then imitate what he's done, which is always grace and it's always love. Meditate on God and the love that he's shown you. And I'm imploring us not to busy ourselves with temporary worries and temporary passions in our minds. And I'm imploring us to put to death every idol that's in our heads that stands between us and God. And then I'm telling us all to act. Don't just muse on what you ought to do. Go and do it. Our God is a God of action. I just quick rundown. God planned to save the world, and then God sent Christ, the second member of the Trinity, to come to earth and accomplish our salvation by his sacrifice on the cross and resurrection. And then the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, brings us to Christ, brings us to faith, makes us alive, and draws us to Jesus so that we would be saved. There's action from the entire Trinity. They all act. Our God is a God of action, and we are not exempt. We are not exempt. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We are children of God. We are united with Christ. We are not exempt from action ourselves. So act and act in love and act from a heart just overflowing with gratitude for the great rescue that God's given us in Christ because he's rescued us from ourselves. He's rescued us from the death and despair of idolatry. Act. And in doing so, show the whole world around you what really matters so that you can point them to the one that matters. Let's pray. Father, you're good to us. You've rescued us from fleeting things that don't matter. You've rescued us, you've saved us from ourselves, from our own sins, so that we can live a life that will echo through eternity. Father, change our hearts, change our minds. Help us to reflect on what brings you praise and not temporary things. Help us to always be meditating on your word, to be meditating on what we ought to do so that then we would be inspired by who you are and what you've done to go out and emulate you. Father, remind us of the cross daily and let your grace and your justice and your just unfailing love for us compel us to go out and do something, even if it seems small, even if it's just being kind to a coworker who's having a bad day or, or stopping for a homeless person to give them food or befriending someone in class or at our job that doesn't have any friends or whatever it is, even if it's small or if it's huge, that we just be compelled by your love to us to act. Father, change our minds. 
and change our actions to conform to the image of your son, Jesus. But above all things, I thank you for the cross. Thank you for Christ saving us from our sin. In Jesus' name, amen.